Amen. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Mark, if you will. Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter number 4. It is good to be back in church today and hope you've had a great week and are excited about all that the Lord has done. I love the music portion of our service and we know that all of the service is an act of worship. We understand that. Um, but I think sometimes we just think, well, you know, worship's over. You know, we've done that. Uh, but when we talk about opening God's Word and allowing Him to speak to our hearts, that is a form of worship. We've come into this place to worship Him. And a part of that is hearing what He has for us from His Word. And when we get to Mark chapter 4, continuing in our series uh, entitled, It Hurts to Serve. It hurts to serve. I want to ask a question as we kind of jump into our text this morning. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you have no control over? Maybe it's a situation where you didn't know what was going to happen next. Something that's out of your hands. Maybe you've wondered, how am I going to escape? How am I going to be able to get through this situation, this trial, this difficulty? That's exactly where the disciples found themselves at the end of Mark chapter number 4. The exact place. They had just listened to Jesus teach on, uh, pa- with parables, talking about the sower and the seed and the mustard seed. We ended that uh, portion of Scripture last week. And Jesus closes the day telling them that they are going to go over to the other side of this Sea of Galilee. I think we have a picture we can show you uh, just a kind of picture of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is only eight miles wide, about 13 miles long. Because of its location to Mount Hermon uh, to its north, it's very easy for storms to sweep down through that valley, that crevice, right onto the top of the Sea of Galilee and uh, create storms without any advance notice. And I think about quick storms in our lives. In our world today, one phone call can change the rest of your entire life. Uh, One heartbeat or the stop of a heartbeat can change the rest of your family's lives. Uh, the, The fact that one meeting can determine your retirement. One meeting can determine the next several years of your job existence. One single instance. So if one thing, our lives can change at a moment's notice by one event taking place, shouldn't we do something then to prepare for those moments, to be ready for them even before they happen? What can we do to prepare ourselves for what is inevitably coming? We see that take place in Mark chapter number in verse number 35 and the Bible says and the same day when the even was come he saith unto them let us pass over unto the other side and when they had sent away the multitude they took him even as he was in the ship and there were also with him other little ships and there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full now I love the vivid image that we have here of the boat full of water And the disciples panicking. But look at what they do. Verse number 38. And he, the the Lord, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not? Hey, Jesus, don't you even care 
that we're out here dying, Jesus. We're all getting ready to die. And you're back here like you don't even care. It was a faulty perception of reality. But it shows us a great picture of where we are today. And I want us to pray and then we'll dive right into the passage of Scripture. Don't you even care that we're getting ready to die. Father, please bless our time and speak to our hearts. Lord, I ask that you please help us to search our hearts. Lord, all of us are inevitably going to face a storm in our lives. Lord, it's just a matter of time. It's been wisely said that you're either going into a storm, you're either in a storm, or you've just come out of a storm. But storms are a part of the Christian life. Lord, storms are a part of what we will face on this journey. And Lord, I ask that you please help us to see some truths this morning in perspective to our vantage point of the storm and the creator of the storm. Lord, we ask that you please bless our time. Please speak to my heart. Cleanse me of sin. Lord, if there's anything in my heart that unconfessed that would prevent me from being used this morning, please remove it today. And Lord, please help me to be clean as I speak to your people. Please speak to hearts. If there's one here today that maybe they're facing a storm right now and they've come in here today just for a momentary escape, Lord, help them to be encouraged this morning as a result of the preaching of your word and the the teaching of what you told the disciples that day. Lord, I ask that you please speak to us, use this time, and Lord, I ask that you please be glorified in everything that's said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down, number one, the charge that's mentioned. The charge that is mentioned immediately after the talking to the disciples about going uh, about all of these parables that they've discussed. He tells them what they're going to do next. And we see the partnership that's mentioned in verse number 35. He says, uh, the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. The key words are let us Let us. This wasn't something that they were going to do alone. And remember, that's significant because in Matthew chapter 14, in a previous instance, Jesus had told them all to go over to the other side, but he wasn't going to go with them. And that was the night that Jesus came walking out on the water and met them. And Peter walks on the water to go with him. That was that night. But here, he tells them, we're all going to go over to the other side Together, So much so, a group, that there were little ships that we see in the next verse going with them. He'd been teaching all day in the same boat. We see that mentioned in verse number 1 of this passage. But they were okay with that, with going, because they knew that he was in the boat with them. That made all the difference in the world. Jesus is going to be in the boat, so everything is going to be fine. It's going to be smooth sailing for the rest of the evening. And isn't it reassuring, before we even get to what happened in the boat, knowing that Jesus is in the boat of our lives. Jesus is with us. He made us a promise in Matthew 28 and verse 20. He said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And if he made a promise to be with us in the past, then we know that he is going to be with us in the present. If he made a promise then, we know that he'll be with us now. And we have no knowledge of who was in these little smaller ships that are sailing with them. But it's a reminder that when Jesus is in the boat and he's leading the way, 
other people will follow. He said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't just say this to one or two isolated disciples. He said it to many of the disciples. If you'll follow me and you're going to be with me, then you will be fishers of men. I like what David Platt said. Followers of Jesus don't always know where they're going, but they always know who they are with. Followers of Jesus don't always know where they're going, but they always know who they are with. So there's a partnership here. Let us go to the other side. But then number two, we see not the partnership, we see the parting. In verse number 36, it says, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. They sent away. Remember, Jesus was in the boat speaking. In verse number 1, it says, He began again to teach by the seaside. There was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. Get the picture. Boat right next to the, right next to the shore. Jesus is in the boat. Disciples doing crowd control. All the crowd on the shore, all on the land, listening to Jesus talk. Natural a reverb right there, the water bouncing back, giving them that amplification. But they sends away the people. And they go through and they say, all right, Tom, hey, we're going to go. We're going to come back later. But just thank you for coming. Uh, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, just kind of sending away the multitudes. Thank you for coming. Uh, day, the day is over. We're leaving. And he leaves with all these other people, but it says they took him even as he was in the ship. To me, the fact that this phrase is mentioned here, it doesn't have to be here. It's, it could say they took him in the ship. They, they just took him. Jesus was in the boat already. They took him, but it says even as he was. The phrase as he was. Jesus was already in the ship. And they said, Jesus, don't move. We're out of here. They took him exactly where he was as he was. Isn't it interesting to us that we don't get the Jesus of our choice? We take the Jesus who is. We don't get the buffet line Jesus. Now, I'll give you a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And you ha have it your way. Have, you know, that's not the Jesus that we get. We get the only Jesus. And he is. So who is Jesus? What is Jesus? We know that Jesus is love. He is peace. The book of Ephesians tells us that he's our peace. He's a friend of sinners, just to name a few. But when we think about what Jesus is and who he is, we have to think about who we are. Who are we? We're sinners. We are lost. We're undone. We're hopeless. We're broken. But he does not ask us to clean up our lives before he gets in the boat. He accepts us if we'll accept him as he is. If, if we will simply accept him, he will accept us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are created for a purpose. There is a plan for our lives. But the sad part is that while he has a plan for every person, not every person will receive him as he is. 
Just because he has a plan for your life and for my life doesn't mean that you will receive Christ as your personal Savior. He desires to use every single one of us and fulfill his purpose in our life. But we'll only do that when we accept who he is as he is. They got in the boat and accepted that Jesus was in the boat. The way that he was in the boat. You know, think about we have to accept Jesus as he is, who he is, and when he is calling. We don't want to, when you think about our lives today, sometimes we struggle because we don't want the Jesus that we see in the Bible. The one that he says, follow me and I will make you. The one where he says, pick up your cross and follow me. We don't want to be radical for Jesus. We just want Jesus to come and help us when we want him. We want Jesus to come on our terms, not go to Jesus on his terms. And See, that's not how Christianity works. For me to have Jesus, I have to accept him for who he is, not for who I wish he was, not who others say that he is, not so that I, not the way that he is in other people's lives and how he works in other people's lives. I have to take Jesus as he is to me. So this morning, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? What is he? And what is he capable of doing? The charge that is mentioned, Jesus gives them the charge. Let us go to the other side. And they all got in the boat with Jesus. This morning, are you in the boat? Are you in the boat with him? But not only the charge, number two, we see the change that's mentioned. While they anticipated this small, somewhere between five to eight mile trip, depending on who you study after, while they were expecting just this calm, leisurely ride with Jesus, something changed. They did not get in the boat anticipating a storm because their reaction tells us that. They got in the boat expecting this is going to be like the same trip we've done dozens of times before. This is our livelihood. This is our life. But all of a sudden, everything was different. And we see there was an unexpected storm in verse 37. An unexpected storm. Look at verse 37. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Think about the fact that Jesus leads them onto this boat knowing that they were going to experience a storm. Knowing that this storm was coming. Knowing that in the very near future, their faith would be tested. And he was present for that testing. It reminds us that his presence does not keep us from the storm. His presence gives us peace during the storm. Well, I'm, Pastor, I, I got saved and I took Jesus so that I would have an easy life. I don't know what Bible you read that in, but you didn't read that in the Bible. Oh, Pastor, I'm not going to have any more problems because somebody told me as long as I got Jesus that my life would be simple. They lied. Because our life is troublesome. Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be offended. 
you are going to have problems. The disciples shared that philosophy with other people in their teaching. It's a difficult life. And we look at our lives and say, Pastor, this is not fair that I'm having to go through this, this storm, this tragedy, this illness, this pain, this hurt, this loss, this disappointment, whatever it is. But he provides us a calm in the middle of our hurt. Provides this presence that he has. Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Be careful. Don't be anxious about anything. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. Through Him. Man, I don't, I don't know why you're so calm. You just lost your job. I don't know how you can be at peace. You just lost your spouse. I don't know how you're keeping it all together. You just heard this crazy diagnosis that you weren't expecting. What is the difference, church? It's Jesus. It's Him. The fact that He is in the boat. But that does not exempt us from a storm. He was in the boat, in the storm, with them. And he put the disciples on the boat fully aware that they were going to face a storm. Fully aware. But it wasn't just a storm. They were taking on water faster than they get rid of it. Look at verse 37 again. The waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Now I don't know about you, but I have never seen a boat full of water that was still floating. I don't know about you. Maybe you have. I'm sure somebody will say, well, my grandpa, when he was in college, you know, maybe you'll tell me a story. But I've never seen it personally, a boat full of water still floating. That's abnormal. But the Bible is very clear, and it says it was full. It wasn't just full of water. It was full of men. You have the weight of the water, the weight of these men, and it's still afloat. How is that possible? I only see one explanation. Because the one who created the water is in the boat. Say, Pastor, I just can't take any more of this. Is Jesus in the boat? Pastor, I just can't. It seems like my, I'm going under. If Jesus is in the boat, it doesn't go under. It was full. And the boat can still float when he's with you. We see in John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. See, the world's peace is conditional. As long as everything's going okay, you're going to have peace. But Jesus says in the middle of the storm, you can still have peace. As long as, conditional peace. That's not Jesus' peace. Jesus told the disciples, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why would he tell them not to do something that was impossible? He wouldn't. So that means that in the middle of a troublesome situation, I can still have peace in my heart because he's in the boat. Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. 
there was an unexpected storm. The disciples may not have gotten in the boat had they known, but they knew that Jesus was in the boat. But then number two, we see the unaffected Savior. It was an unexpected storm. They didn't know it was coming. But then in verse number 38, we see an unaffected Savior. The fact that there was a storm did not rock Jesus. Now, I'm going to say this, and I want, I'm probably going to say it 14 times before the day's over. The storms do not affect him. Think about it. The storms do not affect him. Your situation does not affect him. Say, Pastor, does he care? Oh, yeah, he cares because we see this. But is he worried? Absolutely not. Is he troubled? Nope. Is he afraid? Absolutely not. He is unaffected by our storm. Now, you would think that Jesus, he's the leader, he's the boss, he's the master, he's the savior. You would think that he would be the, at the one at the helm, riding this out. Hold on, boys, we're going to get through this. You would think that would be Jesus. You would think that he would have his hand on the wheel, leading the way. But where is Jesus? Jesus is in the back of the boat asleep. Asleep. Verse number 38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. This guy is asleep. Now, let's be honest. We would respond exactly the way that they did. Go get Jesus. Go get him. Somebody wake him up. Wake him up. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment. We need everybody on these oars, rowing, trying to get, get these buckets and getting this water out of the boat. It's full. we got to get out of here. But Jesus is not afraid or anxious. Why? Here's the thing today that we need to see. If God is not worried about the situation that you find yourself in, why should you be? If God is not worried about the situation you find yourself in, whether that's a medical diagnosis or whether that's a loss of a job or the loss of a spouse or a divorce or a, a, a wayward child, if God is not worried about your situation, then why should you be? God is not anxious. He's not dismayed. He's not fretting. I think sometimes we think that God is sitting in heaven with his cane and he's shaking and he's popping rollades left and right, worried about what the world is going, what's going on in the world. Oh, I don't know what to do. That is not God. God knows exactly what's going on. And God is not worried about your and my situation that we face in our life. And if he's not worried, why are we? Why are we anxious? Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew six thirty four. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's two thoughts in this verse. The first is that Jesus was not affected by the storm, but the second thought is the disciples were afraid. They didn't have a problem with him asleep before the storm started. But now that the storm is here, it was another matter. And isn't it ironic that 
When things are going well, we act like we don't need Jesus. But when all hell breaks loose, honey, when's the last time you prayed? Get the pastor on the phone so he pray for us. We need Jesus now. Oh, wait just a minute. I thought the Bible taught that we can't do anything without him. I thought the Bible is very clear. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. So if we have to have him at all times, why don't we lean on him at all times? If we're afraid in the middle of a storm, is it because we've forgotten who's with us? If we're afraid in those difficult times, if we were desperate for his presence at all times, instead of just in the storm, maybe we would look at the storms of our life differently. Are you desperate to have him? Jesus is greater than the storm, so what's he doing? He's asleep. He's not worried at all. And that's what we need to remember. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Year of God, little children have overcome them because greater is he that's in the world that's in you than he that is in the world. The wind didn't wake Jesus. The arguing disciples didn't wake Jesus. Should we wake him up? No, let him sleep. Should we wake him up? Go get him. No, 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 don't. No. That didn't wake him up. What woke up Jesus? It wasn't the waves. It wasn't the rocking of the boat. It wasn't the fact that his pillow is now soaked. What was it that woke up Jesus? It was the cry of the disciples. It was the cry of the disciples. Here here it is, church. Nothing you and I can face in this life will stop him from hearing your voice when you cry out to him. Nothing. Nothing we face. He is listening. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I will answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Hey, he is listening. But a bigger question is, are you calling to him? No, pastor, I got this. I don't need to bother Jesus. Isn't that what the servant said to that man who came, whose son was dying And Jesus is helping someone else, and this man's servant runs up. Hey, hey, sir, I'm sorry to tell you, your son died. You don't need to bother Jesus anymore. It's hopeless. Don't trouble Jesus. There's nothing he can do. And when we try and fix it on our own, and we try and make it work of our own devices, and we try and manipulate the situation for the outcome that we want, we're saying we don't need Jesus. Or there's nothing he can do. That's what we're saying. This unexpected storm. They were not anticipating this. The Savior was unaffected by this storm. But the question is how bad do you and I need him? Are we desperate enough to reach out to him? Because Jesus can reach down all he wants to. But until we see that we need him, our situation is not getting any better. Uh, We're not having peace and hope and tranquility and love and experience and his goodness until we reach up the hand. There is a part called the free will. 
we got to reach up and want Jesus to do something. But then thirdly, we see the undeniable submission. Verse 39. The disciples, their attitude, shocking. They knew that he cared for them. They knew that he loved them. But they asked a really dumb question. An ignorant statement. Don't you even care? Verse 39. And he arose. I, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't say a word to them. You know, sometimes the best thing that Jesus can do is not even answer our stupidity. Hey, are you listening up there? He doesn't answer, but he responded. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. It goes from 90 to nothing. All of a sudden, they are on the Sea of Galilee. The sun's shining bright. No wind. Now, we, we anticipate, you think about storms. He speaks in two directions. He speaks to the wind and the waves. He speaks. And we don't know, we know in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. We understand that. Maybe Satan is behind the storm. We have no knowledge of that. We don't know if that's true or not. Maybe he's trying to kill Jesus. But as soon as he spoke, the winds ceased. We know that storms gradually dissipate on their own. That, that's normal. You know, we got rain yesterday and pouring down rain at our house. You know, this morning woke up, sun's out. The storms gradually dissipate. But this was immediate. This is abnormal. This is not something you see every single day. He speaks. And they saw something they'd never seen before. He had power over the storm. Immediately there was a calm. And I think sometimes we expect Jesus to work on the installment plan. But he's in the business, business of immediacy. Immediately. One of Mark's favorite words to use in his gospel is the word straightway. I love it. Straightway. You know what that means? Immediately. In a moment. Jesus speaks and immediately there was a great calm. Immediately. So when the creator speaks... The creation listens. Isn't that ironic? Uh, let me ask us this morning. Really simple question. Are we the creator or the creation? We're the creation. So when he speaks, what should we do? Listen and respond. We should respond to his voice. But how often do we find ourselves no, no, I, I, Lord, hold on, I can't, I can't hear you. I got this going on over here. Uh, Lord, I'm busy over here. I'm glad that he's not too busy to stop everything to listen to us when we call out to him. We see there, there was a charge. Hey, hey guys, we're all going to go over to the other side. This is going to be a partnership. We've got to send away the crowds and part with everybody first, but this is something we're all doing. And then we see that there was a change, that un, unanticipated, unexpected storm. We didn't know it was coming. 
The Savior was unaffected by it. It didn't rock his world. He was sleeping. But then we see at the very end that everything submitted to him. It was undeniable submission. But then lastly this morning we see the concern. Problem solved. Woohoo! Everything's good. Wow! Aren't we glad that Jesus was here? After Jesus speaks to the sea, he turns his attention. Because there was a bigger problem than the storm. You think, man, pastor, is that even possible? I mean, these guys are getting ready to die. They're getting ready to sink. and The boat's going to go down. Jesus is going to die right here with all these people. Not even counting the other little ships. Remember, they weren't the only boat in the water that night. Following Jesus doesn't just mean that you have a storm. Sometimes it means that other people experience a storm with you. Think about that one. Aren't we, uh, aren't we guilty of just thinking, I'm the only person. We have the Elijah syndrome. I'm the only person doing anything for the Lord. I'm the only person that's wanting to do right. I'm the only person who's trying to follow God. I'm glad there's some people in England who are taking steps of faith. I'm glad that there's other churches in our own community that are doing exactly what we're doing every single day. I'm thankful for that. We're not the only ones. Well, man, I go to Crossroads. Big deal. I'd rather know that you're a follower of Jesus than you're a member of Crossroads. It's not about a title. That was 1 Corinthians 3. That was the problem there. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. Who cares? Paul said, if God isn't in the middle of it, nothing's happening. And that's where we are today. The concern. Jesus is getting ready to address the biggest problem on board. And he goes at it with two directions. Number one, we see there was a problem, a battle between fear and faith. Fear versus faith. See, it was their unbelief that led to their fear. Unbelief. Because those two things cancel each other out. You cannot, if you have faith, you have no fear. But if you have fear, you have no faith. What will people think? Who cares? It would be amazing to see what God could do in our lives if we were unafraid of what other people would say or think. God could do a miraculous wonder in our lives. I wonder what they'll say. I wonder what they'll think. I wonder what they'll do. It shouldn't matter. What is God telling you to do? Well, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I could give up my life and follow Jesus. I don't know that I could get baptized. I don't know that I could join the church. I don't know that I could be a disciple. I don't know that I could serve. I, you probably can't. But Paul made it very clear it's not us doing the work. It's Christ through us doing the work. This fear versus faith Faith has to have an object. We understand that? If you get on a plane, you're trusting that that pilot has the experience to get you safely to your destination. You get in your car this afternoon and you're the passenger. You are trusting the driver of that car. You might make fun of them all as they drive. But you're trusting the driver of that vehicle to get you somewhere safely. You're trusting other people around you to get there Safely. But if you think about that, it requires faith. And we exercise faith in every area of our lives, but do we exercise our faith when it comes to Jesus? 
Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. See, living a life without faith is not an option for a Christian. Living a life without faith is not an option for us. Living this life for Christ requires faith. Oswald Chambers said, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. Hey, I trust the Lord. I love Him. I know Him. He's never let me down. Therefore, I trust Him to see me through. And we exercise faith. Faith has to be exercised. And the object of our faith has to be Jesus. Because when these men were paddling in the storm, the object of their faith was their ability in the storm. But what happened? The boat got full of water. They could no longer paddle. They could no longer rely on their own strength. They had to have a different object of their faith. They had to exercise their faith. See, you cannot save yourself. You cannot provide for yourself. You can't know what the future holds. We can't even take care of ourselves. But all of those things we cannot do can be done by Jesus. Every single one of those things. You can rely on you all you want to. But one day your ability is going to run out. You can rely on others all you want to. But what happens when others aren't around? That ability is going to run out. I want to illustrate that this morning as we're getting ready to close. I want to think about a chair. I'll use one chair, just one. Think about a a chair for just a minute. And uh, Keith, I'll need you in just a minute. And I'll need uh, Kevin Wells. I'll need you guys. Just a second. You can go ahead and be making your way up. Think about saving faith. When I'm relying on me. All right, think about faith. Faith has to be exercised. It's, it's, it's a simple chair. All right, I look at this chair. Chair looks good. Sturdy. Seems like it. I'm going to exercise my faith, and I'm going to sit down in this chair. Man, I trust this chair. Looks good. Seems sturdy. I, I'm sure it'll hold me up. So I'm going to exercise my faith in me. You know, I'm, I might be able to do this for a little while. You know, but at some point, my calves are going to be on fire. And I'm going to be hurting. And so I'm no longer going to be able to rely on me anymore. Okay? So I'm going to sit here. But you know what, guys? You come over here on this side. And you're going to pick up the chair. Okay? Ready? Oh, gracious. All right. <laughs> All right, now, 185, baby, I weighed this morning. Y'all are doing great, okay? Now, you can't feel it, but I feel it, (laughs) all right? This chair is moving a little bit. Why? Because at some point, (laughs) you're getting kicked out of the church, I'm telling you. At some point, their ability, as strong as these guys are, at some point, their ability is going to run out. And guys, our faith, I can trust in what other people say. 
Hey, my mom told me that I got saved when I was a kid. I'm good. My grandma told me I was a good and got baptized when I was little, but I don't remember that. I'm good. I'm trusting other people. At some point, that ability runs out. And before their ability runs out, they're going to set down the chair. Okay, guys, you can set down the chair. <laughs> You're destroying the illustration. You can set down the chair. All right, thank you, guys. Give my hand. Oh, I love it when people want to mess with sermon illustrations. Uh, thank you, guys. Prove the point. You can rely on you all you want to. I can look at it. I can examine. Hey, I know what the Bible says about Jesus. I've explored the pages. I've seen it. You know what? I'll, I'll trust in Jesus, and I'll just lean a little bit. I'm still trusting me. You know, I'm going to rely on other people, and I'm going to trust in what they say about Jesus. But at some point, their ability is going to come to an end. I'm not trusting in this chair until I'm sitting in the chair and there's no strings attached. There's nothing holding me up. I have all of my feet, my weight on the chair. If the chair goes down, I'm going down with it. Because I have all of my weight, all of my faith is now resting on this chair. And you don't go to heaven without all of your weight resting on Jesus. It's not what you can do. Because your ability has a limit. It's not what others can do for you. And what you believe others have said about your faith and about Jesus. Hey, I would love to get saved for you, but that's not possible. I would love to have believing faith on your behalf, but that's not possible. It's not biblical and it's not possible. You have to exercise your own faith for you. Hey, moms and dads, you can't get saved for your kids. Grandma and grandpa, it's your grandkids' decision whether or not they want to follow Jesus. You can be a great example all you want to, but until... They sit in the chair and exercise their faith in Jesus. It's still one way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said, John 14, 6. So if there is going to be salvation for anyone, it goes through one way. One way. Fear versus faith. Hey, our ability, it ran out. Their faith in themselves, no longer there. Let's wake up Jesus. Don't you even care? We're getting ready to die. Oh, and by the way, you're on the boat too. You're going to die with us. And Jesus says, verse 40, why are you so fearful? Why are you, don't you know who I am? He just showed them. Hey, there is no reason, guys, to be afraid because I'm on the boat. There's no reason, church, for us to be afraid because he's in the boat. He's with us. By the way, he's never leaving us. He promised. So if he promised to always be with us and he's not ever going to leave us, then why are we worried? Well, pastor, you know there's a big election next year. Lovingly, heaven will not change at all. And the king will not come off his throne because of our election here on earth. 
There was fear versus faith. And then lastly, verse 41, there was authority versus ability. Look at verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. After he talks to them, asks them a question, why are you so afraid? Uh, why, why are you so afraid? Why didn't you have more faith? This was not the same fear that was on display a few minutes ago. It says in verse 41, they feared exceedingly, but they weren't afraid of the storm. What were they afraid of? They were now afraid of the one who calmed the storm. What is God trying to show us when we go through storms? He's trying to get us to see who He is. Why do we have hard, difficult things in our lives? Pastor, why do bad things happen to good people? Oh, that's super easy. It's so that we'll look up. Pastor, that's not fair, says us. But when this life is all about bringing Him glory and not for us, it's totally fair. Because our life is to be lived with heaven in view, not earth in view. And that only happens when we look up. That only happens when we exercise faith. Psalm 89, verse 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, who is strong like Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee, thou rulest the raging of the sea when the waves therefore arise, thou stillest them. They knew he had power over disease and illness and demons and all these different things. But now they saw him exercise authority over the physical realm. So what they do? They took the same emotion that they had towards the storm and they transferred it to Jesus. That same fear? Now they weren't afraid of the storm anymore. Now they're afraid of him. Did you see what he did? Do you know who he is? He just exercised his ability over the physical realm. We saw him heal all these people. We saw him uh, cast out all these demons. We saw that. But now we know that he has all power. Now we know who he really is. Remember the centurion at the cross in Matthew 27, verse 54? Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus, Jesus on the cross saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly. Not the earthquake. Feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Let me ask you a question this morning as we close. What has He done in your life to convince you who He really is? It's easier for us to say, you know, Pastor, I know that Jesus lived and he was 33 years old and he died on the cross. And I know that he did all these miracles and all these different things. I know all that. That's good. Head knowledge won't take you to heaven. Getting to heaven requires exercising faith. It's not just who is Jesus. It's who is Jesus to you. It's, it's when our kids start asking all those questions. There's a disconnect in Jesus went to the cross and Jesus went to the cross for me. That is the difference. And until you recognize that Jesus is who he said he is and who he claimed to be, 
You cannot take that step for salvation. But when you get to that point, you have a major choice. You can either exercise faith in you, you can exercise faith in others, or you can exercise faith in Jesus. Hey, have you sat in the chair? Have you taken that step where you've exercised eternal saving faith? Pastor, I already checked that box. I'm good. All right. Are you following him every single day? Have you exercised faith in him as Lord over everything in your life? Is he the Lord? Because he's either Lord of all or church. He's not Lord at all. If he is Lord, that means that he is God. And if he is God, then he deserves our attention and our faith. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning as folks are moving, preparing for our time of invitation, let me just ask you a question. If you died today, do you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven? The Bible is very clear that Jesus is the only way to heaven. No other way. Acts chapter 4, no other name given among heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, the life, the only way to get to heaven. Maybe you're here this morning and you're trusting you or trusting something you've done or trusting what other people have told you about your experience. Can I just get down very simple, nitty-gritty this morning? It comes down to what you know, what you know that you've done when it comes to Jesus. Have you exercised faith in Jesus Christ? And maybe you're here this morning and you have not exercised faith in Him. You don't know that you go to heaven when you die. You know, salvation is so simple. It's understanding that we have a need. We have a spiritual need today, every single one of us. The Bible says, for all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, in Romans 6.23. So for our penalty of being sinners, born into sin, nothing we can do to change it. We deserve to be separated from God, spiritual death, as well as physical death. But Jesus died on the cross to take our place, to take our punishment. He died for our sin. And the only way that we receive that gift that he freely offers to every person, man, woman, boy, or girl, is to take him at his word and ask him to apply what he did on the cross to our life. That is salvation, plain and simple. It's acknowledging that I'm a sinner, that Jesus died as my substitute, the propitiation of our sin, the replacement for my sin. But until I exercise that faith, I don't get the gift. So maybe you're here this morning and you just simply need to talk to the Lord and tell Him your need. Simply, it's not a magic prayer, a mystical prayer, anything like that. It's praying to Him in your own words. Saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Something along the lines of you acknowledge that He died for your sin. And then just asking Him to save you. Take the reins of your heart and life and be your Savior. That's what salvation is. And, and right now, I would encourage you, if you don't have that settled in your own heart, that you would get that settled today. That is the greatest need of every person. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I, I've, I already know that Jesus is my Savior. Let me just ask you, 
Are you following him? Are you exercising faith day by day following him? Maybe that's a struggle that you have. Hey, all of us are prone to wander. But are you following Jesus? Maybe right now you would simply stop and pray and ask the Lord to help you in whatever area he's pointed out in your life. Whatever area he's shown to you this morning. There are cards in the seat in front of you talking about taking a next step. If you need to take a next step or exercise faith. Or maybe you pray and receive Christ this morning. We would love to rejoice with you. You can take that card. You can fill it out in just a moment after the invitation. You can leave it right in your seat. You don't have to hand it to anybody. Just leave it right in your seat. We'll collect it and we'll reach out. And we'll contact you and pray with you and show you what the next step would be. But do what God wants you to do this morning. Take that step, whatever that step is for you today. Father, please bless our time of invitation. Use it for your glory. Lord, I ask that you would please help us to see that this thing of the Christian life is not dependent on us. It's dependent on the object of our faith. And Lord, sometimes we trust in our ability, like these disciples. We trust in what we can do, what we've done. Our past tells us that we're capable. But Lord, we need to look up and see that you are faithful and consistent. Lord, you deserve to be the object of our faith today. And Lord, I ask that you please help us to see that through your word. And Lord, please show our hearts that you are trustworthy. Lord, please help us to follow you faithfully, consistently with our lives. And if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, help today to be their day. Help them to call out to you for salvation. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us and giving us an opportunity to serve you and follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please. John's going to come and lead us in God, the uncreated one. The team's going to play. Our personal workers are already down front in the back. Would love to pray with you if you need someone to pray with you this morning. Do what God wants you to do right now as we sing. Sing it together. The uncreated one. He